podcast of the Leeds Centre for Dante Studies. Welcome to the seventh episode of Conversations on Dante, a series where we talk with researchers who are helping to shape how we understand Dante, his context and works, and his place in the cultures of the world. I'm Matthew Traherne, and in this episode I'm talking to Christina Olson and Chris Kleinhens, editors of a new volume, Approaches to Teaching Dante's Divine Comedy, published this year by the MLA. It's a great volume. It's got over 30 contributors. It covers a wide range of issues and contexts for teaching Dante. And it's going to be a really important resource for anyone involved in teaching and indeed studying Dante and his works. Chris and Christina are scholars who've done a wide range of important work on medieval Italian literature. Chris is the Carl Mason Kirk Professor Emeritus of Italian at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and Christina is Associate Professor of Italian at George Mason University in Virginia. They've both done an enormous amount to advance our understanding of how we teach Dante. Chris co-edited an issue of the journal Pedagogy in 2013 on multidisciplinary approaches to teaching the Commedia, And Christina is also editing a forum in Dante Studies to be published this year entitled Ideology and Pedagogy, The Tensions of Teaching Dante. So I was really excited to talk with them about how we might teach Dante in the 21st century. And I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So it's really great to be speaking to you both this morning, Chris and Christina. Great to be speaking with you too, Matthew. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. I suppose that the first question really is, what led you to want to prepare a new edition of Approaches to Teaching Dante's Divine Comedy after how many years? 20 20 years almost since the the first edition. Actually, it was 35 years because the first first volume came out in 1982 and was one of the first in the uh, Modern Language Association's series on approaches to teaching to teaching world literature. Christina essentially asked me to join her in this enterprise. It has been a long enterprise. Uh, we were just talking about that and it seems like we were involved for like six or even seven years from the germ of the idea to the completed volume. It is 300 pages, but we decided to do it because the first volume, while very interesting and very successful in its own way, was mainly based on a type of literary approach to the comedy. And we know that over the last 35 years, there have been many other approaches that have been tried and true. We've noticed it in our own teaching of the comedy. We've learned about it through reading scholarship by individuals who have been doing very important work in a variety of areas. That's not to say that our book is the be-all and end-all of books or essays on teaching Dante. There will always be new things to be said about Dante, but we thought that we would ride on the crest of the computer uh, wave, as it were, with websites devoted to Dante, other sorts of digital uh, resources that are available now, uh, both in terms of concordances, in terms of visual archives, in terms of websites devoted to Dante, either by individuals in this country and abroad who teach Dante. And so we thought this was the moment in which we should really uh, take stock of where we have been, where we are, and where we might be going. Where we might be going, we can talk about a bit today, I believe. I think Christina and I have some ideas about areas that need to be addressed. 
But I think that the whole question of gender politics, the whole question of artistic influences, the whole question of material culture, question of seeing Dante in a more global context, these are all things that have been coming to the fore and developing over the last 35 years. So we thought we would take a, take, I won't say take a chance, but to convince the MLA that this is something which is really necessary. I, I should say as a type of appendage that we were disappointed when the MLA decided, decided to call it a second edition rather than volume two because the second edition would imply that, well, we're simply revising the first. But no, it's a completely new book. We hope that will be clear to all people who are interested in it. I think to add to Chris's statement that the work, that the scholarship has been changing, we also have to add that our students have changed. So students who come to Dante now belong to a different generation, many different generations, in fact. And our classroom, if one thinks of the classroom in the U.S., for example, has also changed. So demographically, we're not just dealing with a generational difference, we're dealing with a social and a racial and, you know, a difference that can be felt along economic classes and so forth. So no longer are we dealing with Dante being taught in the specialized upper level literature classroom, be it in English or in Italian. We need to be able to introduce students to Dante who have no knowledge of the Bible, no knowledge of medieval history and so forth, and really make Dante appealing to them. So, you know, our, our first sort of impetus, I would say, in adding on to what Chris already mentioned, was to make Dante come alive for this new generation of students of Dante, but then also really to meet the needs of those students and to try to articulate Dante within language that's accessible to them by offering and sort of highlighting approaches that are new that, you know, many of us have been implementing in the classroom over the past several years, but that really haven't been documented. Now, Chris started to do this in his special issue of pedagogy and sort of forecasting new ways to teach Dante, but really there's nothing else that can be a testament, right, to that, and no other way to sort of spread the news and the information to help other instructors. So in addition to the college classroom, we're also dealing with other instructional contexts in which Dante is being taught, high schools, prisons, and so forth, the lifelong learners, right, the very robust and large group of lifelong learners of literary classics that we have, especially in America, if one thinks about all the different lifelong learning institutes where Dante is taught, and there's great appeal there for courses, right, on Dante. So those are all very important things. And then what's been happening over the past few months and sort of thinking about, especially in America, how we talk about race and, again, how we talk about difference, this is something that's going to take even more sensitive attention on the part of Dante's to figure out how to to discuss how to hold a conversation about Dante in today's classroom. So, you know, I don't think that we've solved all of the different problems that keep, or I should say, not necessarily problems, but all the different changes that keep happening within the classroom. But the idea of this volume is to somehow speak to these times in a much more direct way. I think I think one of one of the things I, I really enjoyed about reading the volume is the way in which it it treats these questions as, I suppose, opportunities for reflection. And certainly in, with respect to students, not seeing all of the, you know, the changing 
demographic of students that you know changing nature of the classroom as as causing a deficit in them you know the fact that they aren't all italian studies majors anymore um you know th this is not a deficit actually because they, they they sure they have things that they need to learn they have gaps that need to be filled and so on but but actually they also bring a whole set of new considerations and of new insights that otherwise wouldn't wouldn't be possible and I, I found that really you know the spirit of the volume you know that came through really strongly to me I, I certainly agree with everything that Christina said, and I'd like to add that it is the question of audience. I must confess that I haven't been teaching the comedy uh, in a classroom for 13 years. And so having done it for 39 years uh, before that, I, I, I have certain ideas. But when we were putting the volume together, I was amazed to read some of the essays talking about students at community colleges with no preparation in literature, with no preparation in Italian, but who get engaged with Dante. And the engagement with Dante is something I think that is so important because we know as teachers of Dante how engaging the poem is and on multiple levels. I think too that engaging different disciplines, the influence of Dante on the artistic tradition over the centuries, the tradition of Dante in music, over the centuries as well. The old philological tradition, of course, which is manifesting itself now in the, in the work of Wayne's story in particular, in terms of the material culture, how reading the text in certain manuscripts gives a whole different perspective on the meaning of the text. With 30 contributors to the volume, we have a variety of approaches. Uh, we also have at least two essays that deal with Dante and uh, computer games, with Dante and the web. Uh, all of these things bring the comedy into the, can't say the 21st century, but the 2020s, as it were. And so as a result, you know, we're looking, some of us are looking forward to 2021, which will be the 700th anniversary of Dante's death. Uh, that would be a good way to to segue to another question in terms of what are we anticipating for 2021? Also, not only the anniversary of Dante's death, but also we hope the anniversary of the end of the pandemic. Problems <laughs> that that has caused in terms of teaching around the country, in terms of learning, but also opens up new opportunities for us, I think. Well, I suppose... Um... You know, thinking about the story of the of this volume from 2013 until its publication this year, does the volume look different to what you expected? Have there been surprises in terms of how it, the shape of the volume and the things themes that have emerged? Certainly, and you know, we would have had even more contributors to the volume to tell you the truth. So this is actually a pared down version already of the collection of abstracts that we had submitted for consideration. So yes, there's a time lag from you know the very, very beginning of the conception of this project and now, and are there essays that we feel like perhaps you know would appear now that we couldn't have thought of then, other approaches or topics? I mean, certainly, you know, one thing that comes to mind right now for me is echo criticism, right? We don't have anything necessarily that deals with topography, maps, and things like that. And, and that's something that I think that we're, you know, we were starting to see a rise in echo criticism in general in literary studies. And um, it was permeating Dante studies a bit, but it'd be interesting to have something on that even more so. And then I think there are a few perspectives in the volume that are definitely speaking 
to us now in 2020, perhaps even more than we anticipated. Certainly ideas of the African-American reception of Dante from authors to political leaders, as especially as Dennis Looney, as he's written in his, uh, his book, Freedom Readers, that's something that we certainly need to investigate more in the sense as teachers of Dante and to figure out how we bring that into the classroom. And then I think of perspective like the one given to us by Gary Chistaro, who, you know, who's sort of bringing the conversation about Dante and sexuality beyond the, you know, words or the, you know, the old terminology of homosexuality and so forth, but really trying to have us use queer studies to have us approach the idea of sexuality in Dante in a different way. I see these particular approaches, and of course, I think all of the approaches are very valuable, but I especially see the relevance, let's say, and the timeliness right now of these as we enter into the next decade. But of course, you know, who can predict what's going to happen right now (laughs) from one year to the next? We're not even sure, as Chris was saying, if in 2021 we'll be able to actually celebrate this anniversary together in person. Though I would say following up on that, I think that there are going to be many more opportunities for us to connect virtually in ways that would have been, quite frankly, impossible. We we can't fly around the world, you know, 15 to 20 times in one given year. It's not even good for the environment. (laughs) So I think that it'll be better for all of us. I think that we'll have actually a more connected international Dante community through 2021 as a result of the pandemic. One might even think right now of the project that the Dante Society is doing together with NYU under the leadership of Alison Cornish of having these different videoed conversations about Kanti. So I see lots and lots of opportunities and I do look forward to the end of the pandemic, but I think that it's going to be a good thing for our field to connect Mm -hmm. in in those ways. I think too that, and and I, I certainly agree with what Christina has just said, there are two issues really. One is the pedagogical issue in terms of how we teach Dante and what new fields come into play. And I certainly agree that eco-criticism will be very important, uh, one one of many very important things to bring into the classroom. But there's also the question of what we would call scholarship in terms of where the, um, the professors are going to go in terms of their own research. And I, I, I remember vividly uh, an essay by, by Teo Barolini, uh, which was published in the 2009 issue of Dante Studies, in which she talks about the need for historicizing. And I think we've done a fair amount of that over the last 11 years since that they appeared. But there's still a lot to do. And she lists probably at least 10 different areas of historical research that can then put the comedy into particular contexts, which in terms of our knowledge, our scholarly knowledge, will then increase tremendously. I'm also a bit worried about 2021, just as I, when I was starting my career more or less back in 1965, which was of course the the anniversary of his birth. And so consequently, we had a tremendous amount of scholarship that was produced in the aftermath of 1965. Uh, Since I've done a lot of bibliographical studies and so on, I'm aware of the challenges that that will present for anyone who is trying to put together some sort of bibliographie raisonnée of 2021. Just seeing the number of special issues that are coming out in journals, which are dedicated to Dante, 
not only the increase in the number of journals that deal with Dante these days, but also the number of special issues of other journals that will be devoted to him, not to mention the conferences, the symposia, and so on. In any event, that's something that I'm glad I'm not going to have to, to deal with in terms of cataloging. The volume does start, doesn't it, with some really valuable presentation of bibliography. And I think anyone who's taught Dante experiences that feeling of being, I suppose, just intimidated by the volume of bibliography and thinking, how do, you, how do you present this to students in a way that helps them to kind of appreciate that there is this, you know, 700-year tradition of writing about Dante without stifling their own efforts and their own energies? Yes. And I think that that, you know, when we did the survey, um, you know, whenever you do an MLA approaches to teaching volume, they have you start off with a survey to the MLA membership. So when Chris and I crafted the questions for that, and one of the questions was, what do you feel like is the biggest obstacle in teaching Dante? You know, by far and wide, the top answer was the historical context and, you know, the difficulty of trying to introduce, obviously, all of the different political actors and the scenes and the, div- the political divisions, the parties, the terminology is very foreign. And that type of intimidation that a student can feel can shape how they're going to receive the poem. So, you know, I think that in all respects, when you're dealing with Dante pedagogy, you're dealing with how do you manage being intimidated? So either as an instructor or as a student, how do you negotiate the feelings of insufficiency? and feeling like perhaps you're not up to the task, very much like, you know, Kanto's one and two of the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the inferno, right? How how are we as pilgrims and, you know, embarking on this journey? And I think that it's a very important point that it is a very delicate dance. And I hope that what the volume shows, because, you know, one of these approaches to teaching volumes is not about where we, it's not necessarily, I should say, about where are we now with the scholarship. It, it is a bit about that, but it is also what works best in the classroom. So the difference between, say, this volume and, say, Cambridge Companion is that this has an applied focus. So you'll notice in the table of contents that not everyone, you know, who's actually a contributor is a Dante scholar, not someone who is active within the field. It could be someone who's in English literature, right, or so forth, a medievalist, but someone who has figured out a way to effectively teach a certain aspect of the poem in the classroom. That's something that I think is interesting, even for us who are very much inside Dante studies, to understand, to perceive, and to embrace, because it's in those other instructional contexts, of course, that we have that fervent interest in Dante that we have to keep alive also for our own personal interests. So I think that there's so much that is intimidating about Dante because of the accretion of centuries of scholarship, but there's also so much that we can learn about how to teach Dante also from outside of that tradition. And I hope that people, that the readers of this volume will get a sense of that through very specific contributions that we have there. There are different cohorts of individuals. There are the the undergraduates who are majoring in chemistry, shall we say, who need to take a humanities course. And sometimes they will come into a Dante in English class and they will come out of that class changed 
because it is so different. It is so meaningful to them in so many different ways, and they don't realize that until they're actually into it. I think Peter Hawkins' essay, for example, in, in our volume is very important in that regard in terms of what do students take out of the class? What could they take out? How does it relate to their own story, as it were? The graduate students whom we teach or whom some of us teach need to have that traditional basis, but they also need to be aware of new approaches. They have, they should have the philological preparation. They must have the philological preparation, but they must also learn how to teach Dante to a variety of students. And so I think the job of the university professor who does have graduate students who want to work on Dante for a dissertation topic or for a career choice, uh, it is daunting, as Christina said, the, the amount of criticism. And it is easy to to say, how can I possibly contribute? But I think that what we are showing through the volume is that there are a multitude of approaches which are not only pedagogically important to follow, but also which are intellectually and, scholar and have scholarly importance on their own right, and which then open up the poem in ways that Dante, obviously he couldn't conceive of certain things, the computer industry, etc. and so on. But uh, he would be pleased because he knew that he was writing a poem for everyone. And when we teach it, I think we need to teach it as a poem, at least to undergraduates, as a poem for everyone. And also to instill in our graduate students that sense that we are on a particular mission in terms of teaching the poem so that it does have a meaning and an importance to all of its readers. Right. And I would say to follow up on Chris's point there, it's not, I think, a mistaken overstatement to say that the largest population of Dante students right now in the U.S. are in the general education classroom as undergraduates. It's, it's, it's not the graduate student body. So being able to keep the interest in Dante alive there to spark that interest so that then whoever decides to go on to then specialize within Dante, you know, that we can welcome them with open arms, you know, so to speak. Mm. But um, it, it, it's all about making Dante speak to them at that stage and perhaps even earlier, perhaps, you know, hopefully in high school, if Dante's a part of that curriculum there is very important. I could add one more thing. My own experience, I, I had a number of dissertators who worked on topics, very few on Dante for the reasons we've, we've just uh, talked about in terms of the tremendous volume of scholarship that one would have to go through. But there are students in who have gone through our program who have been modernists and who have for several years been teaching courses on Dante at their own institutions, which are essentially either, well, one is a small liberal arts college, one is a fairly large regional campus of a state university. And they've had tremendous success at it. And they, they aren't Dante specialists, but they have grown to become Dante. They, they always have been Dante lovers. And they have transformed that love of the poem into a meaningful course for a wide swath of the student population. It always seems to me that one of the one of the interesting effects of, uh, of the historicizing project that you were talking about yeah, that Barolini put forward a few years ago in that in that important article is that really does the opposite of sort of tethering Dante to the past. And I think, you know, lots of that 
sort of historicizing approach can really do great work in communicating Dante today. Thinking perhaps about um, the context of 2021, where we've got the 700th anniversary of Dante's death, but also a world which is going to know, it's going to know the after effects of a pandemic. It's going to be kind of working with understanding the Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. It's going to be facing ecological crisis. It's going to know political polarization in ways that are quite new and are going to be very prominent and in people's minds. You know, these are all things which I think can speak to the historicizing project and that attention in the classroom as well to historicizing Dante, placing him in his in his historical context in a way that isn't necessarily intimidating or distancing but actually brings brings him further into the present, more firmly into the present. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, as one of Berlini's students, who's very much, you know, involved in the project of, of historicizing, I've always found that historicizing actually, instead of distancing, opens up the poem and allows it to speak to, to students in a way that I think that they find very engaging. So it's a way of overcoming the intimidation barrier, right? I mean, as long as it's the instructor who's doing the work of the, you know, the historicizing for them, and then trying translating what that means for students in accessible terms, then it also allows them to read the poem faithfully, right? And one could even say correctly. So there's um, there's something about historicization that seems like it's kind of a philological enterprise and so forth. And it's not when you're talking about social and political realities, because in fact, there's so much about Dante's times that can speak to us today. So, you know, whether or not you're dealing with questions of gender or questions of political power of governance structure and such, being able to explain the context in which Dante is is writing, and then the times in which Dante is writing, I should say, and then to say, you know, well, in this particular verse or in this particular canto, this is really the issue at stake. And that's something that Berlini does very well in her Digital Dante website, um, that that really opens up the poem, not only for our field, but for the students as well. I think that when we, where we run the risk of closing the poem is when we assume certain types of knowledge. If we were to assume that historical knowledge, or if um, we were to assume a certain type of theological knowledge because of one's student's background. So I think that a lot of work in sort of those who read the poem in a theological light, which is obviously very important. And, you know, we have essays in the volume that do uh, address the importance of how to teach Dante in a religious institution, that we have to know how to translate that knowledge and not make it alienating that there's a way in which if you're going to only translate it within those theological terms, then those students who haven't grown up with that, how are they going to latch on to it, right? You're, you're specifically speaking to one population at that point. History is broader in that respect. It will draw in a broader student population. It, it almost feels to me as though what you're defining is a sort of new understanding of authority in Dante studies or of expertise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it's not about acquiring knowledge, you know, knowing everything that there is to know about Dante, because you know, <laughs> I think we can all agree that that's pretty much impossible at this point. 
but rather about a sort of openness to these different, either different sets of methodological considerations or sets of uh, concerns that readers might be bringing to the text, or a constant sort of renewing of our understanding of what we think we might know about Dante and his works through the encounters with new readers. I mean, that feels like, that feels like quite a powerful ethos, really, that comes across in the volume. Is, am, I, am I overstating it? Am I overthinking it? I think you're precisely correct. Dante has also been, we've, we've seen in, in, several, in, in a few recent books, I'm thinking of Joe Luzzi's book, In a Dark Wood, in which he essentially identifies with Dante and reading Dante, understanding Dante then, enables him to get through a personal crisis of the most serious nature. And I think that when we read the poem in class, I always try to discourage the, the notion that Dante is an everyman because he's not an everyman. However, students can identify with him in many different areas, many different places, if they've encountered similar opposition, similar problems, and so on. And I always like to think of uh, the political context in which Dante was writing. And when he comes to meet Chaco in Canto Six. And Chaco talks about the vices that, that have uh, proven to be the downfall of Florence, uh, superbia, avarizia, and so on, pride and envy and avarice and so on. And the whole notion of political corruption, which unfortunately is still present today and probably will always be present in the political sphere, it takes on particular meaning for us in situations today uh, and probably will in the future. And so or when he meets with Paolo and Francesca and the whole question of love or a type of love which may or may not be perverted, etc., these then provide some sort of insight if people are open to reading it and to identifying with the character, which Dante hopes that we will do in those instances in which we can. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if, if we're going to talk about 2021, then it's because for the past several years, certainly those of us in America have been thinking about the idea of political leadership, you know, and for much longer than that. But, you know, Dante certainly speaks to us on, on that level, no matter in, in what context. Of course, we've been, we've been talking about pedagogy today, but you're, you're both renowned scholars as well, researchers. It's always interesting to, to, to talk to people about what the relationship is between their practice as teachers and their thinking about pedagogy and what they do in, the, in their research as well. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, perhaps in light of what we've been talking about in, the, in terms of the volume? I've, I've always learned a lot from my students. I've learned to understand what their problems are with reading the poem, what they have questions about. And oftentimes their questions have caused me to reassess my own thoughts. I, I recognize that I come out of a certain tradition of reading of how of how my teachers read Dante. And of course, we always follow the lead of our teachers, but we also rebel against them in certain ways in which, which uh, then open up new pathways. But I find that I learn a lot from my students just in terms of, well, why haven't, you know, have I been so unclear in terms of interpreting this particular passage? Why, where have I, where have I gone wrong? Or where have I 
failed to to actually present this in 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 an understandable way and that is then to examine certain passages of the poem to reinterpret them or to look at where they have come from, how they've been interpreted over the years. Uh, I think particularly of, of my work on Dante and the Bible and how Dante uses uh, the text or incorporates the text or modifies the text. Uh, it also uh, has impacted my use of the visual arts in teaching the poem in terms of what was the visual culture that Dante knew? How did he view it? How is it interpreted? How does it appear in the poem? How does he manipulate this to his own ends? And so all of these, all of these things that have arisen in class, uh, or at least partially in class, have led me down different roads. And so I think that uh, in terms of intertextuality or interdisciplinarity, uh, all of these things are important for us to contextualize the poem in its immediate culture, in its immediate medieval culture, but also how uh, it helps us to understand the poem uh, in terms of the way we view things today. I think that Chris has really stated it very well and eloquently as always, uh, the idea of sort of, you know, when you're in the classroom, there are certain things that you wonder, have I explained this well enough? Or how do I explain this? And that, I would say, does directly relate to a lot of projects that I have been working on. I mean, especially the, my project right now on clothing, um, and then just in general, my interest in gender and, you know, how women are portrayed with the feminine, I should say, for lack of a better phrase or a better term, is, you know, portrayed in, in the Divine Comedy. That has all come out of conversations in the classroom. So, you know, as I write in, in my essay in the volume, where students push back against what they perceive as the, where they perceive the text as being misogynistic, I have always wanted to come in and sort of explain, yes, but, you know, and you, you need to contextualize this moment in this way. And that a lot of, I would say, some of my most inspired writing has come out of that desire to explain it differently, perhaps not successfully change my students' minds or how they feel about it in, in sort of in a gut reaction type of way, but hopefully to portray that, you know, misogyny is a much more complex issue than one can judge at first sight, right, in the poem. So for me, you know, coming, uh, rereading, of course, you know, the famous lines in uh, Purgatory 23, where Frode Zidonati is, you know, railing against, you know, the Sfacciate Donne Fiorentine was always a very big thing for my students. You know, what on earth were they wearing? And of course, that's sort of an impossible question to answer, right? When we're talking about decolletage for Florentine women in the 14th century, right? And then explaining to my students that it probably wasn't more than, say, you know, two fingers width uh, under the, the neck and sort of, you know, the reaction and trying to understand how to explain why that would even be an issue in that time for my students opens up the, the, you know, the large world of material realities in the 14th century in Dante's Florence, and then all of the interconnected issues there, sumptuary legislation, moral treatises, sermons, the history of the time, who was wearing what and why and who was spending and economic discourse. So it, it's really out of those moments of, again, wanting to, as Chris was saying, contextualize better. But then also for us, I think, as scholars and as researchers, to understand better and to dig even further, you know, deeper into it, it starts in the classroom as that question 
that then leads to further questions. And yes, there's a huge connection between my, my teaching and my research. Absolutely. And it's tied as well, uh, for obvious reasons, for what we were saying earlier, to this idea to historicize more. Yeah. They're, both, they're both wonderful answers, and I think they, they really convey this, the sort of generative possibilities that, that you clearly find in teaching and in pedagogy that, that comes through in your own work and also in, in this wonderful volume. So it's been, it's been a real joy to talk to you both today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. We enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Matthew. It's been a real pleasure. And my conversation with Chris and Christina really left me with a strong impression of the diversity and the commitment of the community of teachers of Dante. And I think their volume really celebrates that. And more than that, I think it really conveys the ways in which that community of Dante teachers is not just there to impart knowledge to students, but also to involve students and involve each other in a journey of learning together. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. We've got many more conversations lined up over the coming weeks and months, so do keep your eyes open for those. And for now, thank you very much for listening.